You're listening to episode number 15 of Strike the Match. In this episode, my guest is Dr. Steve Moore, Executive Director of the Center for Excellence in Leadership, a ministry of the Association for Biblical Higher Education. At the time of our recording, Steve was still serving in his role as president of Missio Nexus. Our conversation dealt with some of the challenges that mission agencies are facing today. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with pastor and missiologist, Dr. J.D. Payne. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. You know, guys, mission agencies have, have always faced challenges. I mean, this, this is obviously nothing new. Uh, as long as we are in this world, there are going to be issues, going to be challenges that will be before us. And uh, it continues on today. However, I have noticed that uh, at least within the past decade of the 21st century in particular, but I, I know that it goes back even farther than that, um, that there have been um, uh, some, some, some different set of challenges, maybe a variation on a theme, maybe, uh, maybe some things that are, are um, from a different angle, that, that mission agencies, uh, at least from my vantage point within a North American context, that they're facing. Uh, my conversations with agency leaders, uh, CEOs, presidents, vice presidents, uh, some consultations that I've done as well, uh, informal, you know, water cooler kind of conversations. Uh, th- there are things that are happening right now that are on the hearts and minds of a lot of, a lot of leaders that are out there. And today I have with me uh, Steve Moore. Steve is the uh, president and CEO of Missio Nexus, uh, one of the largest networks of U.S. evangelical mission agencies and churches uh, that's out there. Uh, I've known Steve for a few years, uh, just a great brother uh, in the Lord. Steve has an enormous amount of, of wisdom and experience in working with, with agencies, working with uh, leaders uh, across uh, evangelical lines. Uh, he is an author. He, is, he has written several books, uh, including The Dream Cycle, Leveraging the Power of Personal Growth, uh, Who is My Neighbor, While You Were Micro-Sleeping, uh, and uh, Seize the Vuja Day. Uh, so uh, today, I am wanting us to have a conversation about some issues related to uh, matters that are facing mission, mission agencies that are out there. And so, uh, Steve, I want to welcome you to Strike the Match. Thank you, J.D. Great to talk to you. Hey, so before we get started, um, for those of you that have been keeping up, you, you guys know out there that uh, there's been a, a recent announcement uh, to take place. I know last year, Steve, uh, you uh, made the announcement back in May uh, that you were resigning from Missio Nexus, but you would remain in this role uh, until June of 2015. And then uh, just within the past week or two, uh, the announcement has come out that you are going to assume the role as executive director of the Center for Excellence in Leadership. Could you tell us a little bit about this transition before we jump in and a little bit about the uh, Center for Excellence uh, in Leadership? Sure. Uh, This uh, new initiative is actually under the umbrella of ABHE. That's the Association for Biblical Higher Education. And ABHE is a network, an association of uh, accrediting with the historic Bible college movement. So there's about 200 member and affiliate institutions in uh, the ABHE family. Some of them would be well-known, like Moody or Multnomah mm-hmm. or Lancaster Bible College, but yeah. there's lots of them. And there's about 55,000 students in, that, in those institutions. Wow. And 
through this Center for Excellence in Leadership, I'm going to be working with Ralph Enloe, the president of ABHE, and with the presidents of these uh, Christian higher education institutions that are primarily focused on training ministry leaders, uh, pastors, missionaries, and others. And uh, the focus will be working with those presidents and their student development teams to create uh, leadership training experiences for next generation uh, leaders. That's fantastic. You know, I actually spent uh, more than a decade in the young leader training space before taking on the role that I have now. So really, I'm kind of going back to my sweet spot, and um, I'm looking forward to it very much. Well, man, that is awesome. And, and, you know, just watching you over the past few years that I've known you with Missio Nexus, I mean, I I think that the the wisdom that you have and and the passion that you have for multiplying leaders uh, will play out very very well in that setting. So so brother, I'm excited for you and very thankful. Thank you, JD. Hey, um, so as a, as I mentioned just a moment ago, uh, you have worked very closely with a multitude of mission agencies over the past several years, and so so I wanted to ask you some questions uh, on some matters related to to agencies uh, today. And I, I think maybe the first one that I'd toss out to you to kind of kind of get us started is just generally, what, what are you seeing right now as far as some of the challenges that are facing mission agencies? Yeah, I think the simplest way to describe that would be to look at the impact of globalization on mission sending. Uh-huh. You know, we think about globalization and how it affects businesses or maybe even uh, how it affects politics, governments, whatnot. But it is affecting the organizational uh, mission-sending structure in pretty profound ways. What's ironic about it to me is that the drivers of globalization are the success of mission. Mm -hmm. So when you think about it, the fruit of Great Commission labors over the years that have brought about really exciting sending initiatives from Korea, from Brazil, from really throughout Latin America, uh, and, and in other parts of the world in more creative ways, like the Filipino diaspora that are uh, many times Christ followers who are not sent out as traditional missionaries, but they're in mm-hmm. many different places around the world. All of these different factors are those are part of the drivers of globalization that are the fruits of missionary success, but success brings its own set of uh, complications. And those globalization drivers, which we'll probably get into more as we talk through this, I think are affecting mission sending more than anything. And it's uh, a particularly complex layer of uh, complex layers of globalization. And it's, uh, it, it, it is a challenge for, for leaders, primarily in the sense, and I hate to keep using business language, but uh, it is affecting the, the business model, so to speak, of mission sending in pretty profound ways. Can, can, you, kind of, uh, can you kind of give an illustration of that? I mean, like, how like, pr- how's that affecting the, the sending? Well, there are... There are couple of key questions that I would say uh, relate to this impact of globalization on mission sending. And and one of them is uh, how do agencies relate to the global church? Mm -hmm. Uh, 
Um, and how do and the other one is how do they re- relate to the local church within their context? Right. And so what's happening is mission sending is being disrupted in that the assumption which used to drive mission for centuries was that uh, a person who wants to go as a cross-cultural worker, the only option available to them was to connect with a mission-sending structure Uh then would provide in this full-service kind of package everything that's needed for their training, for their sending, for their overseeing them on the field, caring for them while they're there. All of those details would flow through that mission agency sending structure. So it'd kind of be like a kind of a one-stop shop. Exactly, exactly. And the reality is that is no longer the only option. And in many cases, it's not the preferred option for some people. Uh And so now churches can do some things on their own, circumventing mission structures. Uh, People can find business-related opportunities to get to the places where they want to go and circumvent mission-sending structures. And what's even more confusing and more recent is there are mission there are, there are mission organizations who don't do sending all they do is receiving so there are organizations that exist in the places where we would like to send uh-huh. they don't recruit missionaries they don't train them in the pre-field sort of a way all they do is receive them so now people can go and, and, and be received by a mission organization that doesn't do anything else except receive missionaries. So, so for example, someone leaves like the United States or Canada that they go into another country and there's an organization, there's an agency there that, that, re, that receives them? Is exactly. that what you're saying? Exactly. And so now there are groups in Europe who they send, but they don't receive. They just recruit and send people. Uh-huh. and place them in these other organizations that all they do is receive them. So so those that do receive so so what do they what do they practically do then when missionary shows up at their front door whom they've agreed to receive? They would receive them to be part of a team for which they own responsibility I see. Okay. On, on the field and their only responsibility is overseeing the activities of that team on the field. So you, you mentioned the issue of globalization. I know that's that's a very you know that's very overarching. There are a lot of things that that can flow out of that. I mean, are there other things uh, that have have happened within like maybe the last ten or fifteen years that are posing challenges that you you were not aware of, say, prior to ten to fifteen years ago? I'm sure there are, and I'm probably oversimplifying it, but I would say these things. Um, end up finding their way back to the impact of globalization in, uh-huh. in one way or another. Yeah. So, for example, the, um, the emergence of virtual mission organizations. So, by virtual mission, I mean, if you think back to it, say, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. certainly longer than that, but maybe even a little less than 20 years ago, to be perceived as a credible mission organization, you needed a headquarters with a uh, not palatial but res- you know respected mm-hmm. kind of office building, uh, you needed an organizational infrastructure kind of footprint that communicated credibility. Mm-hmm. Right. 
you also needed to have a critical mass of workers, cross-cultural workers that you were deploying around the world to give legitimacy. Why would you have a building like that unless you had a certain number of workers out there in you know reasonable number of countries around the world? Uh-huh. Uh, and so, uh, the since the internet now, what's what's way more important is not that you have a, a building and some kind of impressive organizational infrastructure, but you have a website. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Yeah. So now we have these virtual mission organizations that have popped up that are uh, basically have a really cool website and maybe a decentralized staff who function by way of uh, Skype and uh, you know free internet in a Starbucks <laughs> and you know I mean at one point the cost of entry mm-hmm. into the mission agency sending world was really big and here's the important principle when the cost of entry into an industry and I apologize for the you know business language here, no that's, but, that's appropriate I understand uh, when the cost of entry into an industry is really high the new uh, new kids on the block almost always imitate the existing model that's there. But when the cost of entry gets lower, people that are entering that space have much more freedom and are much more likely to try new things. Mm, yeah. and, but when I say these things all come back to globalization, in the sense, part of what globalization is this massive increase in competition. Yeah. We don't think about competition the way businesses do. We're not trying to take market share from each other, but the the competition in the mission agency space is not cutthroat marketing to get market share from each other, but it is the plurality, the explosion of choices for for people who want to give, mm-hmm. want to go, or who, who want to participate in some way in Great Commission initiatives. One thing we will never be able to eliminate is the fact that those people have to choose. Who am I going to engage with? Right. And you, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, just globalization is multiplying those choices. You know, one of the things that you mentioned a moment ago was um, was about, uh, you didn't use the phrase majority world church, but you, you were talking about the, the growth of the, of the global churches out there. Uh, you know, we go back, let's say, say 50 years, 60 years, um, 100 years, and, and that was not so much of an issue. Of course, we ent- we were in a period of time that was very paternalistic and with colonialism and so on and so forth when we go back, you know, 200 years or so in mission history. Um, this issue of the growth of the global church, practically, how is that affecting agencies that are based primarily in the United States and in Canada, for example? How, what's, how is that affecting the way that they need to think about sending? Yeah, I, I think part of the challenge here is that the narrative around mission agencies in North America, and I think the same would be in Canada, U.S., Canada, and the same would be true in Europe. Uh-huh. The narrative around them is that um, in order to be perceived as successful, um, and I mean that in, in, in a positive way, in order for them to be contributing to the kingdom, they need to be growing the number of cross-cultural workers they're sending and growing the number of countries they're sending them to. That's the narrative mm-hmm. that North Americans have embraced for success. The, the paradox is 
if you're sending workers to a particular country and you've been there for 50 years or 60 years or in some cases 75 years, success in that country, meaning the growth and maturing of the church there, they're not perfect, but uh, in spite of the fact that they're humans, the, 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 the growth of the church there demands that you, over time, should have fewer missionaries there instead of more missionaries mm-hmm. there. Uh, you, you would be transitioning from missionaries who are doing direct ministry, which is evangelism and discipleship and church planting and all the things that go into seeing a beachhead for the gospel happen, and you typically need more people in that season. But as the church develops and matures and as leaders begin to surface, you transition from the direct ministry ministry role to what I refer to as an indirect or even a secondary indirect role. Uh-huh. Indirect is where you're doing leadership training. Um, secondary indirect is where you're just providing on-demand coaching and consulting for the local leaders there. That's what success looks like. But for agencies to withdraw their workers from a field... Mm-hmm communicates uh, a message in in terms of the, their uh, their stakeholders in the U.S. Uh, the, it communicates the wrong message. We're going backwards. We have fewer workers when it's when it's success. The other challenge is, and this is complicated, so I don't want to oversimplify it. But mission agencies fund a percentage of their overhead based on the number of workers that they have, and it's not an irresponsible thing to do. Uh, but so if you have fewer workers, you have fewer dollars to help fund the, the overhead and the organizational infrastructure footprint that was created when the cost of entry was high and mm-hmm. it be perceived as successful, you had to have these things, is, creates a significant amount of fixed costs that are pretty hard to, to address. So if, if I am the... Uh, president or I'm the CEO of an agency that is out there right now, I recognize that these challenges uh, are real and present. Um, I'm hearing hearing what you say. Can you give me a few suggestions that I need to be thinking about as I navigate, Lord willing, the next five, maybe ten years uh, in this position that I'm serving in, uh, in light of what's taking place in the world? Yeah, the answer to that question, a definitive answer to that question is the proverbial $64,000 question or $64 million question. So, you know, I don't pretend to say do this and all your problems are going to go away. But I think the, the organizations that are wrestling with this most directly are realizing that um, – in order to be effective going forward, they're going to have to figure out ways to partner with local churches and partner with the global church in the deployment of new cross-cultural workers in ways that we haven't done it before. And exactly what that looks like, there's no one you know magic bullet here. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's probably going to incorporate some kinds of new uh, business-related initiatives. Uh, you know, business as mission has been around for some time. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to be even some new iterations of that. It's going to be some creative partnerships with churches um, in, in how people get sent, but not necessarily through the mission agency pipeline in the same way that we've done it 
in the past. It's going to involve some of these uh, prob, uh, processes where we send, but somebody else receives. Mm -hmm. And I think the other part of this that is particularly uh, intriguing to me is that um, one of the impacts of globalization, and I don't want to get too technical here, but one of the impacts is what's referred to in the business world as the disaggregation of the value chain. So if you think about the mission-sending value chain as the process of recruiting, training, screening, language learning, you know, member care, all those components that are part of that mission-sending value chain, what's happening is they're being disaggregated. They're being pulled apart and niche organizations are servicing that instead of doing all of those things, do just one of them. Right. Now, the first one of those to surface was the uh, support raising groups. Mm -hmm. That's all they did was train people to uh, raise support. But now there are people that all they do is member care. There are people all they do is crisis management. Yeah. Uh, and, and there are going to be more and more of these that surface and I think one of the things agencies are going to have to do is figure out which elements of the mission-sending value chain can they be best in class at. Mm -hmm. Focus on those, not only for their own people, but for others. And then perhaps be prepared to outsource some of the things that they've typically done to others who can do them better than them and maybe even cheaper. This is going to be a difficult transition, but I think it's coming. So you, so you, you think we're in the day of agencies becoming leaner and more focused? I believe it's one pathway that could explain how an organization can reduce its fixed costs without reducing the um, support structures that are being provided to the people who are going. My guest on Strike the Match today has been Steve Moore, President and CEO of Missio Nexus. And uh, Lord willing, as of June uh, 2015, he'll be transitioning into his new role as Executive Director of the Center for Excellence in Leadership. And by the way, uh, Steve, uh, best way to keep in touch with you, uh, what's website, something like that? Yes, the website for uh, the Association of Biblical Higher Education is abhe.org. Can you repeat that one more time? Okay. Yeah, it is A as in association, B as in uh, biblical, H-E, higher education, abhe.org. And uh, my information is on there. Fantastic. Steve, thanks so much for, for giving us your time today. Appreciate you, brother, and uh, keep up the great work. Thanks, J.D. Great to talk to you. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. Payne. You can find J.D. on Facebook or follow him on Twitter at J.D. underscore Payne. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpayne.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.